All right, church, let's clap it up. No, no, yep. Well, we are, we're about to do this. <laughs> yeah. Um, hey, let's read our, our verse for the series, Chosen. I'm sorry if it's chilly in here. Um, my creative director said there are two temperatures, on or off. So I'd rather we be cold and hot. Um, I'm freezing. So um, Ephesians 1.4 is our uh, lead verse, our main verse for the entire series of cho- uh, entitled Chosen. And it reads, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Um, I love that verse. I love that verse. Um, because, you know, before any mistake, any sin, um, God chose us in his son. And uh, all it takes is faith to be made new. Um, today's uh, chosen relationship Q&A um, is based out of Ephesians 5, verse 21 through Ephesians 6, verse 4. We are not going to read those verses together. Kyra is actually going to read those verses uh, later on this morning. Um, but hey, we just, you know, we have a burden to offer up some of our wisdom. I mean, we haven't been married that long, uh, going on four years. But um, what, what I do want to say is, you know, we're not the font of wisdom when it comes to marriage and singleness and divorce. We still have a lot to learn. Um, so we're not standing up here on experience as much as we're standing up here and sitting up here on the authority of God's word. And I just think that um, if we could take God's word and apply the principles and apply the truths, um, I just believe his blessing is going to be on your marriage, on your singleness, on your separation, whatever your situation is. If you would take these truths and apply them, um, God's going to show up. Um, with that being said, let's get started. Are we ready? All right. All right. Hey, whatever you got to do to get warm. Um, I'm, sh- I'm shivering. Each other? There you go. That'd go ahead. Good. Can you let's greet our neighbors? Like, yeah. Let's give them a hug. Stand up and say hello to one another. Yeah. Um, this is your church. These are your people. Give them hugs. You want to scoot us up, don't you? We have cards. We came prepared. Yeah. <laughs> How many people like our cards? Oh, yeah. Good. Nice. Nice. Give it up for the cards. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I am so nervous. <laughs> Why? Uh, yes, I am shy, man. Go ahead, babe. No, yeah. I mean, we, so we gathered these questions, and there was a lot um, for us to go through, and they were so good. So good. And I think for uh, Pastor Joshua and I, it really gave us an insight um, to the heartbeat of our church and the real issues or questions or things that people are dealing with. Yeah. Um, and so it was hard to narrow them down to, I think we have eight, nine? Eight or nine. Nine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It was hard to narrow them down. Um, but, you know, we did a process of elimination guided by the Holy Spirit. And I do believe what we have here will be a fountain of wisdom. Yeah. And so I pray that, you know, just get your notebooks out, um, whatever you need to do to take your notes, you know, whether it's your phones, 
Um, whatever you got to do to stay you warm. Do. It's going to be on the podcast, so you'll be able to catch it there. Sorry, babe. <laughs> Are you that cold? Oh, my goodness. Anyway, so I'll stop talking. No, go, babe. You're good. <laughs> All right. So here's the first question. And just to kind of kick it off, yeah. it's what's the best part of being married to each other? Yeah, I mean, um, you're amazing. Um, you're just, you're awesome. Um, you're fun. You're my best friend. And um, life is just real good with you. Um, it's not perfect, but it's good. Um, I just want to say I love you. Okay. Yes, <laughs> little Stevie Wonder. I love you. You're I awesome. I love you too. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I'll share my testimony a little bit sure. within the answering of these questions because I think if you are able to live something out, then you're really tr- able to um, respond well mm-hmm. and especially going through God's word. But I would say um, you're wise beyond your years. And that is one thing that I've had to um, slow my Hispanic self down to. <laughs> Because I am very much of a go, go, go and think I know it all. Um, And God has really used you to humble me in that process. Your husbands are there, ultimately, to show you so many things. So I I thank you for that. Um, Man, just to be the visionary of our house, not only with this church, but with our children. Um, And, man, I couldn't have asked the Lord for anything better. So I love you. I love you back. I won't sing anymore. Love you, babe. All right. Awesome. Awesome. That was an opener. Yeah. So here's the first question. What does the Lord say about balancing family, work, and personal time? So the questions I'm sure will be on the screen. So what does the Lord say about balancing family, work, and personal time? This is a good one. Um, So balance is defined as the condition in which um, all elements are equal in proportion. Um, It's where all parts are are the same. Um, so it's as if to say, you know, I work eight hours a day. I have eight hours with my spouse, eight hours with my kids. And uh, oftentimes what I tell people is the first thing you need to do to find balance in your life is to eliminate the word balance because it doesn't exist. Uh, balance does not exist. So, you know, if you're taking notes, I just jot that down right now. Um, I believe that... Um, Um, different seasons call for more intense focus in certain areas of our lives. Um, So you may have a lot of momentum going on in one area. So this this wheel is spinning and is spinning real good. And whenever you gather momentum in a certain area and you're stewarding that area well, you you can leave it be for a little while because chances are there are other areas of your life that's lacking your focus. And, and so these wills are stalled or they've stopped and they need your attention. So you got to get over here. These are still spinning. Work, um, some friendships, uh, school. But what about, I don't know, serving in church or how, how you're taking care of your finances? These have stalled and these are suffering your kids, whatever it may be. You need to get these wills turning. Um, and it's seasons. So there, there are times where um, your focus is more intense on something. And I think what you have to begin to pray for is greater awareness right. of those areas of your life that needs more focus, more of your attention. Um, those areas in your walk with God 
that needs more attention. So you may be coming to church on Sunday, but maybe your prayer life is stalled. You may be praying, but maybe your reading has stalled. So you're going to pray because that's the season you're in. You, you, may be, you may be in crisis, but you need truth from God's word to help um, inform your prayer life. So I think we need to pray for a greater awareness of, Lord, what is lacking in my life, and then um, uh, give healthy attention to those specific areas of your life. So I believe healthy attention can be achieved um, depending on the season. Um, so Mark 6, 31 through 32 says this. Then Jesus, I'm not nervous now, I'm just cold. So that's what I'm kind of like. Then Jesus said, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. Um, him and his disciples have been going hard in the ministry. Thousands of people being saved. Families are being changed. Miracles all over the place. But what's lacking is their rest. So they need to rest. He said, um, because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. Yeah. So they left by boat for a quiet place where they could be alone. Um, this plays out in my life practically uh, with my kids. Um, I'm home all day, but, you know, every Monday or Tuesday we're going to Chick-fil-A. Um, I'm taking them to a park at least three or four days out of the week. Um, I have to study to prepare for a sermon or I have phone calls to make. Um, I try to attempt to keep a healthy balance, but there's no way I can do that when I have a two-year-old at home that takes up 14 hours of my day. So what I have to do is say, well, I spent the entire day with him. Now I need to give the last four hours of my day to my wife or tomorrow it's going to be to Jaziel or it's going to be personal study time. If not, something's going to get off kilter. So, yeah, that's what I would say about that. Yeah, that's good. And, I I mean, practically speaking, just preparing for this message, I'm such a clean freak at home. (laughs) My house is a mess right now, and it's okay. So I think it's just giving yourself grace into certain seasons because, as Pastor was mentioning, just some things require more of our attention. Yeah, yeah. Next question. So um, what's the best way, I love this question, to date being a Christian? Yeah. Um, again, personal experience, just because um, coming into the Lord, I was single, a single mom. So Jaziel, who is eight years old, is actually um, not biologically pastors, um, but he is his father. Um, but he, I was a single mom, and I was, um, he was two years, about one and, a year, one and a half, two years old. And I found the Lord, and I went on this journey, because I thought that that meant I then needed to find a man, like, that quick. Um, And God really settled me in one day. I was on my knees, and I remember it like it was yesterday, praying, crying, because I'm here, a single mom. I want a man. That's just what us women want, right? And the Lord really humbled me and said, Kyra, I will never give you away to another man until you give your life completely over to me. And it clicked at that moment. And then I went on a journey to personally experience him in every facet of my life. Um, So I was found in my father's house. And so when this question came about what's the best way to date being a Christian, I just want to hit it from a biblical perspective. So there is a story in the Bible coming out of Genesis 29, and it's, it's Jacob and Rachel. And some of you guys may be familiar about this, but Jacob 
ultimately wanted the Lord. He was running after God. He was going to steal if he had to. And um, we see this because God gives him a heavenly vision. So we know that he is running after God. And then he finds himself at a well and he meets Rachel. And Rachel ultimately lives in her father's home. So she's found in her father's house. And I want us to read here Genesis 29, 18 through 20. Since Jacob was in love with Rachel, he told her father, I will work for you for seven years if you'll give me Rachel, your younger daughter, as my wife. Agreed, Laban replied. I'd rather her give her to you than to anyone else. Stay and work with me. So Jacob worked seven years to pay for Rachel, but his love for her was so strong that it seemed to him but a few days. So we have characteristics of a male in waiting and of a female in waiting. And those, I think, are very big keys to look at when you are dating as a Christian. Men, be found in the Lord. Search for him. Go after him with all your your heart. And women, do the same. Because ultimately, our focus should be being the right person, not finding the right person. Okay? So our focus should always be being the right person, not finding that right person. That's God's job. And I know that in between that waiting, it can get tough. Those seasons are hard. Um, But it just just shows that if you continue to trust in him, it becomes easier. You know, I I was about a year and a half, I think, singleness, running after him. He didn't really know it. Uh And then we finally um, were like, you know, I think this can work. And here we are today. So so I love this in that passage. It's this seven-year, what I consider a seven-year rule. And it's not that I'm trying to say here, I'm making this disclaimer, that you should wait seven years while you're dating someone to actually marry. But and from a biblical perspective, the number seven means a number of completion, of perfection. Mm-hmm. So they both came alongside one another in completion, agreement, and alignment before they stepped into that next step, which was engagement and marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just, it's really important to yeah. just be ready. You be ready. Yeah. You be the right person. Yeah. I like what she mentioned there. So um, characteristics. I love how she said Rachel was found in her father's house. Um, the New Testament house of God um, is the church. And so part of being the right person is being in the right position. And I I talk to men and women about this all the time. You know, I want this job. I want to date this person. Uh, and, And I always tell them, you know, I don't think God is as concerned about what you want as much as he's concerned about who you're becoming. Yeah. In the process of getting what you want, because if you get it, uh, you may not be ready for him or her anyway. Right. So, um, you know, serving in, in God's house, so serving in the church, um, developing a healthy Bible reading um, regimen, um, a prayer life, and ultimately that's how you become one with Christ. And when you're one with Christ, you can trust somebody else because he loves that person that he's sending you just as much as he loves you. Yeah. But, um, you know, so... Um, what I say practically is uh, friendship. I think our generation, the Gen Xers and uh, the millennials, we, we bypass that step of just being friends. A lot of us, uh, and we're going to talk about this later, um, a, lot of, a lot of us bypass a lot of steps. But yeah. I'd say if God is in it, uh, there should be a healthy, godly friendship um, because you need to learn how to communicate. You got to learn if 
it's not if it's beyond infatuation because infatuation can drive us to a lot of unhealthy things um um, i would say date with the desire and with clarification that we will get engaged Mm -hmm. you know if we're friends and and we make it official um so you're my girl and i'm your man um I think we're mature enough at that point to say, hey, we're not just going to waste each other's time, but we're going to date with the intention, we both agree, that we want to be with one another. So when when the engagement is ready, the girl's ready to say yes, and you're ready to go. And then you get engaged with the intent to be married. So I think there are steps, friendship, intentional dating, engagement, and then marriage. And uh, I just think out of ignorance and how we were raised and what we saw, we miss a lot of these steps. Yeah. But God is gracious. Yeah. God is gracious. That's good. Yeah. That's good. Um, so the next question here, and we'll put it up on the screens, yeah. is what, I, what do I do or how should I handle it when we have more than one child and my spouse clearly has a favorite and the other child is starting to realize? Good question. Yeah. Nice and gray. Yeah. Um, so I first, this question, honestly, I first wanted to address it from the standpoint of clearly has a favorite. Um, Is this hot? Yes, you can take it. Cool. Go ahead. Do your thing. (laughs) Loosen it up. (laughs) Chris is so in trouble. (laughs) I know. Because it ain't work yet. He's talking about the the more people that come in, it's going to get warmer. (laughs) Place is filled. Freezing. Um, So, honestly, before we hit on the children aspect of the question, we have to deal with the marriage first because that's the foundation. And so when I saw that clearly has a favorite, I said, hold on, let's peel this thing back. And I instantly saw the picture of the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3 where Adam and Eve had just disobeyed and they're hiding and the Lord comes in the cool of the day. If you guys don't know, you can do Genesis 3, 8 through 11 as your reference. And... God asks them, you know, like, where are you? And they pretty much tell him we're hiding because we're naked. And God then inserts, but who told you that? Mm. And so when I see this clearly has a favorite, it's like the spirit of God wants to say, who told you that? Wow. It's the enemy and he's pouring in lies into that relationship and into that marriage because he's literally trying to take it and break it because that's what he wants to do. Um, The enemy never wants to see a marriage being fulfilled until the completion, which is when Jesus comes to take us home. Mm. And ultimately, he knows if he damages that, he damages the children, right? And so honestly, I would say take a step back, sit with your spouse, Have that open communication, that honest conversation. Let them know your heart and how you're feeling. I think that's what you're going to hit on it um, at that point. And, and, you know, before we entered into um, engagement, we had to have this conversation because Jay-Zeal is not biologically his, and I did not want this to fly on our radar. Um, And he pretty much said, listen, if we ha- when we have a child biologically, Jaziel is still my son because he was created in the image of God. And so he has been given to me, entrusted to me, and so I'm going to steward that well. Um, and we had that conversation, yeah. and he will kind of give you some practical points here on how to, on the children's end of it. But. No, that's good. Um, I, I think it, it's important to, to recognize that um, uh, your suspicion is legitimate. Um, at times, because I think it all goes back to seasons. Um, and so because Judah is mine biologically and he's the baby, 
Um, there are times where I'm, you know, it almost seems as though I love him more, um, kissing him, hugging him, rolling around on the floor. Um, and it's easy to dis display greater affection towards Judah because he is mine and because he is the baby. Right. I think the key for me is, is I've had to monitor my level of affection um, in Jaziel's life. So I, I've had to ask myself, when is the last time I've hugged him or, or kissed him? Uh, when's the last time I've affirmed, affirmed him, celebrated him? Um, when have I set aside an hour, two hours, three hours to, to take him out to the movies, get some ice cream? And uh, I start to, to, to dig through these things. Um, I think the concerned spouse, whoever asks this question, if you're here today, um, must be more intentional on displaying your affection towards the seemingly less favorite child. Mm -hmm. So if you see that your spouse may be lacking, fill in that gap. Right. Uh, fill in that gap. And I think it's also key that you would remind that child that your spouse loves them, right. is for them, and will do anything for them in the world. So defend the marriage by defending your spouse. Don't allow the enemy a foothold in that situation. That's good. Yeah. And I just want to point out Ephesians 4.29, where it says, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Um, and so I formulate our conversations around scripture. And so I would say if you're having a tough time to even get to that point in your conversations, remember that um, words of encouragement are always the way to go. Yeah. And in a marriage, we have to have those honest conversations. So. Yeah, that's good. Um, oh, this is a good one. <laughs> How can you build or rebuild intimacy once it's lost or if it was never present? Yeah. Yeah, man. Someone say, sex is great. Sex is great. <laughs> I want to make this, uh, I didn't say this before. I was supposed to. If there are any children in here under three... And you've never tried HL Kids, today is the day. Because this only gets better, not worse. So repeat after me, sex is, great. sex is great. You guys are going old school. Sex is good. Sex is good. All right, someone, someone is fresh off the boat. All right, let me, I told you, I don't know what's going to come out. So 1 Corinthians 7, 2 through 5. All right, but because there is so much sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman should have her own husband. The husband uh, should fulfill his wife's sexual needs and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. The wife gives authority over um, her body to her husband and the husband gives authority over his body to the wife. It's not yours. <laughs> no, do not deprive each other of, of this stuff. Um, unless you both agree to refrain for a limited time. Right. So you give yourselves uh, more completely to prayer. Afterward, you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Right. So um, we all have sexual appetites and needs. And so God's prescription, biblical prescription for your fulfillment is within the context of marriage. Right between one woman and one man. And that's our stance as a church. 
Um, that's God's stance, that marriage is between a man and a woman. And that's how he seeks to um, encourage us to have sexual fulfillment. Right. Um, now, I think that we all get into seasons where, um, you know, we may be too tired. There's been a, more specifically talking to those that are married. Uh, it may have been a long work day or it may have been a while. It may have been weeks or months since we have engaged. But um, there is a need to be willing to offer yourself because your partner is in need. And you don't do this, you know, you, you know you're not just taking one for the team. But the Lord is saying, like, uh, like let's, all right, come on. You know. <laughs> <All right. laughs> yeah, I'm like, uh, chill. I want to go to sleep. It's late. Like, you're not just taking one for the team. You're, you're literally, you, you got to get your mind there. Yeah. And, and you got to get involved in that thing. And for my singles, like, yeah. this is a real thing in marriage. So yeah. it, just, <laughs> just because you're single and you're trying to remain pure, like, just get into this question because mm-hmm. it's good. Yeah, I mean, you got to be willing um, to give yourself, number one, out of love for your spouse. And number two, according to Paul, out of obedience to the Lord. Your body is not yours. Their body is not theirs. Um, And I think if you've lost or or you need to rebuild intimacy, we need to seek opportunities um, to build that intimacy throughout the day. And it looks different. It can be a text message. It can be um, a written note. It can be a compliment or affection by way of touch or the sparkle in your eyes or whatever it is. Um, And I also want to say this. Opportunities to become intimate are not always going to be ideal. Sometimes, you know, uh, you put Judah down for a nap and you throw Jay in the shower. And you just got to do what you got to do. Sometime it's, uh, oh boy, let's get through this. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just not ideal, so I'm going to keep moving. Th- this is the thing. Sex is like a fire um, within marriage, and there is a need to keep it stoked. Um, if not, the devil's going to find a way to toss water on it. He's going to find a way to have it fizzle out. And eventually being broken humanity, saved or not, when you have an appetite and when you get hungry enough, um, you can try to fulfill those needs and other areas that God has never intended for you to try to fulfill those needs. Yeah. Um, you know, for me, one thing that my mentor coming into this marriage told me was, Kyra, the only thing that's going to differentiate you from your husband and the other woman is sex. And it really um, informed my process even that much more because it's true. So in a marriage, that's the one thing that literally um, separates you that much, you know, separates you from the rest and Mm. intimately connects you that much more. Um, And then, you know, I've come to also realize that sometimes the party is tired and, you know, intimacy can look different. It can be, you know, us laying in the bed and we're going through a book together and, you know, we're just spending quality time with one another, and yeah. that's my fill, and that's his fill, and we're good. Um, sometimes it is doing the do, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, but in different seasons, you know, and I love this passage off of, out of Proverbs 5, 15 through 19. Let's read this. It wow. says, drink water from your own well. Yeah. Share your love only with your wife. Why spill the water of your springs in the streets, having sex with just anyone? Wow. 
You should reserve it for yourselves. Never share it with strangers. Let your wife be a fountain of blessing for you. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. She is a loving deer. This is the Bible. A graceful doe. Let her breast satisfy you always. And may you always be captivated by her love. So in other words, um, if this is not happening in your marriage, everything's going to spill in different places that you don't want it to spill in. All right? And we got to keep watering our own grass. Yeah. All right? So, yes. Yeah. Yeah. We'll we'll keep Dylan. Yeah. We'll we'll help it out as we move on. because. We're, we're going to continue to talk about that topic here, but yeah, yeah go ahead. That's it. I'm oh, my bad. It's me. It's your turn. All right. Um, next, next question. How do you have a godly relationship? This is such a good question. Uh, when two Christians are pregnant um, and having a baby out of le- wedlock, do you get married and is the future an obligation now? Yeah, that's good. Um, Again, for me, this is personal experience, and it's hitting on something um, dear to my heart because I walked through this. And the answer is no. It's not an obligation. And I, not even in the Lord, having, being raised around a family of believers, I truly didn't give my life to the Lord in this, when I was going through the situation, but I just knew that God was still good. And so I chose not to. So four months pregnant, I left the relationship. Um, And it was the greatest decision. Um, My son still has a very open uh, communication with his biological father. They're in contact with one another. Jaziel fully understands. And um, it's it's turned into, I guess, a beautiful co-parenting, as you will. Um, And so I would just want to commend this question, whoever did ask this question, because obviously these two parents are choosing Jesus. And so that's where we have to move forward from. Psalms 8411 says that God will withhold no good thing, but you must commit to walking with him. So this is where I had to come to. This is the place I had to come to, even though um, the sin of, you know, having sex outside of marriage caused this my son was not that. And the right thing to do at that point was to love him, continue to move forward, be a strong mom for him. And ultimately, because I chose those decisions, God entered my life in such a way radically that um, I've, I've never been the same. So, yeah. So it's not an obligation to marry now. And I'll have Pastor continue. Yeah. I just, this is such a good question. Um, I, I want to say this. Having a baby out of wedlock does not negate um, the, the need to automatically marry. And I think that's an age-old um, mindset um, where, hey, you two are pregnant. Um, you got to marry because you got to take care of that child. Um, I think a lot of our grandparents and great-grandparents lived that way. And some of them, it worked. Others, it didn't. Right. Um, nor should uh, a baby be the reason for your marriage. Um, it's just not a good enough reason. Um, but I do want to say this. First Timothy 5, 8 states, do we have that verse? Yeah. But those who won't care for their relatives, especially those in their own household, have denied the true faith. Such people are worse than unbelievers. <clears throat> Conceptually, um, if you're not together, 
but you've had a child together. Um, In a sense, that child is a part of your household because that child is a part of you. So I think this is where we get our child support system from, that even if parents aren't together, um, the, the father mostly needs to support that child either financially or whatever way that, that he can. Right. Um, and, and God is saying, even though you've had this child out of the context of marriage, you still have a responsibility to help raise this child as peaceably with, with your ex-partner um, as you can. I also want to say this. Um, we can't sin our way into God's plan for our lives. So um, the, the, the situation of conception was sin. The pregnancy is not sin. It's not a, a sin to be pregnant. The child is not a sin, but a sin got us to where we are. And you can never sin your way into God's uh, uh, plan for your life. Wow. Um, but I, I do want to say this. No sin is too great for God to forgive. Right. And no situation is too difficult for God to restore and heal. Um, And so, you know, God's grace is available to you today. If you're out there, if if you have friends or family who's in the situation, God's grace is all over that situation. All it takes is them to respond to Jesus by faith, receive his forgiveness, repent, um, get in a healthy church, get in a community that's going to walk alongside you in that process. Um, you can have some babysitters come out of the deal um, and, and get yourself rooted in a healthy church. Absolutely. Second Chron- Chronicles 7 says this. It says, then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven, forgive their sins and restore their land. My eyes will be open and my ears attentive to every prayer made in this place. Yeah. So if you are a Christian couple and you've had a baby out of wetlock, you need to hit the reset button. Right. Just because you've had a baby, it doesn't necessitate, well, we've already done it. Let's jump right back into it. In essence, what scripture is saying is there's a need to repent because that's not your wife and you're not his husband. And so repent so that God can begin the healing process in your situation and start it over. Be friends. That's good. Collectively agree that we're going to raise this child together, but we're friends. And actually, I'm going to move out of the house. Mm. That's one way. Move out of the house. Um, and then we're going we're gonna to be friends. We're going to catch a movie. I'll be over. I'll tuck the baby in. But I'm out of here by 10 p.m. Mm. Uh, date. Um, and, and do that step again with yeah. the agreement that we're going to get engaged, we're going to get married, and we're going to do this thing right. Because the Bible just said that I will heal their land yeah. if they would just turn, have a change of mind, a change of heart. That's so good. Um, and so that's what the word of the Lord is Amen. for that situation. That's good. Yeah. So the next question here is how do you measure progress in your marriage? And how do you bounce back from setbacks? Beautiful. Proverbs 18.22 says... The man who finds a wife finds a treasure and receives favor from the Lord. So I love two things, treasure and favor. Um, And according to scripture, my wife is a treasure and uh, it means that I've obtained favor from God. 
And so I, I oftentimes ask myself this when I'm tracking the progress of our marriage. I ask myself, do I enjoy Kyra? Right. And do I like Kyra? Because I think you can love someone, but not like to be around them. It's very hard. I mean, come on now. Take, take off the church face. It's very hard to progress with someone that you don't like. You may love, but there's a lot of foundational differences there. And it's just hard for you two to move forward. So you love them from a distance. You call them once a year. You check on their Facebook page to see if they're alive. But really, you don't really care, but you do, you do love them. So I ask myself this, do I enjoy Kyra? Yeah. I do. You have to enjoy your spouse and like the person you're with. They should be your best friend. We also live by the philosophy that we are a team. Mm -hmm. And so when you live by the philosophy that we're a team, we're wearing the same jersey, we got the same last name, different numbers, right. number one, number two, come on now. <laughs> But we're going for the ring. We're trying to win a title like KD and the Warriors. That, that trade still ticks me off. You shouldn't have joined that super team. I'm sorry for those of you that I totally just cast it out because you don't follow basketball. But what I will say is, is this. We're a team. Right. And so I want to I tell you that progress is often disguised and measured through the nature of how we communicate disagreements. Yeah. Progress is often disguised beneath how you communicate through disagreement. And God, and I pray this for your marriage and your future marriages, and if you're going to get back with the person you're separated with or your next marriage, whatever your situation is, yeah. I pray that God would grace you and anoint your marriage with the ability to communicate right. disagreements in a way that leads to growth and agreement. What I'm saying is, is this, we don't argue. We don't argue. We have disagreements. And, and some of you don't believe this right now. This is so hard to believe because of what you've experienced. Right. We have disagreements, but we don't allow those disagreements to undermine, to dishonor what God is building in our relationship and in our marriage. Because we're going to die together this is my best friend. We enjoy one another. We, we're just getting started with this ministry. We're just getting started leading people. There's too much on the line, more money when we're together in one pot. How in the world and why in the world would I allow Satan to get a foothold in our arguments? That's good. That's good. So, so when we do disagree, yeah. we come away better at it. That's how you can measure progress Amen. a little bit. Mm -hmm. So good, babe. Ephesians 5, 25 through 33, I want us to read this together. It says, for husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for, the, um, for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be a holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. 
And it says, and we are members of his body, as the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are unified into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way uh, Christ and the church are one. So again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. The wife must respect her husband. And so my question back to this question is, is with measuring progress. I often ask myself, if, am, am I making it easier for my husband to present me to Jesus? What are things on my end that I need to do? What are prayers I need to send up, getting into my word, being in the community, serving the church? What are things on my end that I have to do to allow his process? Because that's hard. That is hard for a husband to be able to amount to that. So we have our part to play in it too. Um, submission is something really big, and that's one of those words that, especially in the Hispanic culture, you literally cringe at as a woman. You're like, ooh, what? No, I don't know if that's going to work. Women, period. Not right, just it's true. But, ooh, yes. Um, but submission is key, and we don't submission our way through disrespecting them. We have to come into agreement and alongside our husbands and know that when they are following Christ, especially when they're following Christ, that they have our best interest at hand. And we are a team. It doesn't mean that I'm literally submitting to every decision that he makes. I make probably 80% of the decisions in our house, to be honest with you. But we are a team. And so I consult him with a lot of these decisions. We come to an agreement. We do have an open communication. And so that's key. And like you said, just measuring that progress, you know, to see how are you communicating when you're in the dead center of a disagreement. Um, and then how do you bounce back from setbacks? Honestly, forgiveness. Forgiveness. Forgiveness in every area of your relationships. Just like, just like Jesus says, you have to come to a place when you're a Christian that you forgive 70 times 7. And there's that number 7. It's the, it's the number of perfection and completion. And so we can never stray away from forgiveness in, um, in a marriage or your relationships, period. Yeah, not even one last thing. Men, be someone worthy of a woman's submission. Um, like, like Paul says, love your wife as Christ loved the church. He gave us all. Absolutely. Yeah, let's keep going here. We've got about 10, 12 minutes. Yeah, we'll so we have here, what are your thoughts about living together before marriage to see how each other lives, their habits, and et cetera? Is this a good one? Yeah. All right. You know, I remember um, <laughs> growing up, uh, my grandma baked cakes a lot, and um, she would put the cake mix in the oven, mm -hmm. and she would leave the bowl out for us to lick. And uh, man, that cake mix was delicious. Um, and one day I asked her, I said, Grandma, can I just get the cake mix, not the cake? And she was like, boy, you crazy. That, that will make you sick. That's going to put you in the hospital. You know, you can't get the cake mix. You need to allow it to bake. You need to allow the process to mature. You need to want the cake, not the cake mix. You know what I mean? Because that cake mix will make you sick. And so, um, you know, I think shacking up and cohabitation is like eating an entire bowl of cake mix. You need to let that sucker uh, bake a little bit. And so... 
Um, it's, it's, you know, when, whenever we shack up and cohabitate before marriage, it's just not always the healthiest thing to do. Yeah. Uh, accor- according to Barna Research, B-A-R-N-A, you can look them up, Barna Research, 72% of millennials view uh, cohabitation as a good idea before marriage. Um, 5% cite the good idea being for cheaper rent. Um, so it's easier to just live together. Rent is cheaper. Yeah. Um, 9% say for convenience. So I don't have to get up and go home. I can just stay here and, and live with you and mess up your life. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to be encouraging and not judgmental, but research also confirms that millennials want you to be real. And I'm a millennial, so I'm, I'm going to be real. Right. 85% say compatibility. Um, so I'm living with you to see if you're compatible. Um, just skipping a lot of steps. Um, researchers, unfortunately, have found that those who cohabitated before marriage have uh, a lot lower um, marriage satisfaction than those who actually wait to live together at the point of marriage. Um, You're also 25% more likely to become pregnant um, than the normal couple, um, as well as you have a higher uh, potential to be divorced. Um, and on average, it takes five to seven years once you cohabitate to get married. And so that the, the question is, why? Why lower satisfaction? Why is it taking him so long to propose to me? I would say, number one, just to be honest with you, is probably because there's little left to enjoy or to discover about who you are. Yeah. I mean, we're going to bed together. We're waking up. Your breath is already kicking. We're not even married. Um, And we're just setting ourselves up. Um, There's also little room for improvement because this question, um, this question kind of leads to, it says thoughts about living together before marriage to see how each other lives, habits, et cetera. What I'm looking at is, is if in this question, it's like, I want to live with you so I can judge what you're not so great at so I can make a decision about whether or not I want to be with you for the rest of my life, you're already setting yourself up for failure because you're you're picking her off. She's picking you off. I don't like that. I don't like that. Um, And even when you get married, you're not perfect. You carry those same habits in. So living together does not give us room to talk about the things that I don't like or you don't like, um, the things that we can actually discuss in a friendship in a dating phase, in an engagement phase before we get married. Um, I also want to say this. um, And conversely, some remain in the dysfunction for like, man, I've heard people, I've been engaged. How long have you been engaged? For nine years. What? I've had friends. Nine years? Yeah. Yeah. What? So some remain in the dysfunction for fear of being single one day. You don't have to remain. Your friend does not have to remain. Your family doesn't have to remain in that dysfunction. God has a plan. 1 Corinthians 10, 23 says this. You say, Paul says to the church, you say I am allowed to do anything. But not everything is good for you. You say I am allowed to do um, anything. But not everything is beneficial. And so... We can discover God's plan once again through friendship, dating, and engagement. That's good.
good. Yeah. And I just want to say before we move on to the next question, because we're going to close up here quickly. Is, yeah. You know, the Spirit of the Lord is just really pressing upon me that a marriage ultimately is saying, God, I trust you. Wow. And so when you take wow. cohabitation into your own hands, you're saying, no, I trust myself. I'd wow. rather know how this person eats, sleeps, walks, and does their business than before I even put a ring on it or do any of that forward-moving stuff. And so it takes God out of the picture, yeah. okay? So uh, we have to continue to remain in a marriage that we trust God because to say yes to someone, it's, it's, a, it's a big deal. It's right. a big deal, not one to be taken lightly and one that the Lord should be the first person that you think through or think of when you're making that decision. I want to make this disclaimer. These situations have worked, but Paul, in essence, is saying, why take that chance? Because even though some have worked, the greater percentage of them long-term has not worked. So there's grace and, and there's restoration. Yeah. yeah. So last question yep. here, and it's, um, it says here, it's actually not a question, but just asking for encouragement and singleness and the call of being single and serving God for the rest of my earthly wow. life. This one is tough. Yeah. It's a good one. I, good. I think this is my favorite one to hit on. Um, singleness is a gift. It truly is. And I and think once you enter into marriage, you realize, oh, man, being single without children was really, really a gift. <laughs> um, marriage is a gift, too. And it's just now. different seasons of, of our lives. But singleness is a gift. And it's one that when we are single, we should take full advantage of. Yeah. Um, completely. And so, you know, ultimately, Mark 12, 24 through 25 says this. Jesus replied, your mistake is that you don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. For the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. And in that same respect, they will be like the angels in heaven. Wow. And so even being married, I realized that I have a call in my life to serve God to the fullest capacity. I'm not going to get caught up when I enter the gates and Jesus says, what did you do with me? What did you do on this earth with me? And I, and I just sit there and say, I hid behind my husband. Wow. So even, as, even being married, I think the call to serve God should never be any less. But when you're single and serving God, and pastor will hit on this, you're able to just run and completely run and just go. Yeah. So yeah, hit on that. No, that's good. I'll close us out here. First Corinthians 7 says this. Um, I want you to be free from the concerns of this life. This is Paul. Um, an unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking how to please him. But a married man has to think about his earthly responsibilities and how to please his wife. His interests are divided. Um, in the same way, a woman who is no longer married or has never been married can be devoted to the Lord and holy in body and spirit. Holy meaning set apart. Um, but a married woman has to think about her earthly responsibilities and how to please her husband. I am saying this for your benefit, not to place restrictions on you. I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best with as few distractions as possible. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're closing out here, but what I want to say is this. Um, I want, you, I want us to start asking ourselves the what if question. Um, like, what if I never get married? 
And the reason why is because it's possible for you to go through this life single all of your life. Uh, it's possible for you to end up married, separated, and or divorced for the last 40 years of your life. And instead of sweeping it under the table and under the rug as if it's not truly an issue, we need to get into our prayer closets and ask ourselves, what if? What if I die single? That's the first step in finding freedom in your singleness. Um, there's nothing more fulfilling than serving God. Let me, let me help you here. Um, I was a whole person before I met Kyra. Did I want to be married? Yes. But was that my number one concern? Was that my number one desire? No. Because Kyra doesn't complete me. Jesus completes me. Your future spouse, your spouse, your ex does not complete you, does not fill that soul void that you have. Only Jesus can. And the more you seek to fill that void with a broken person, the less God can fill you with his vision, with his provision, the, the less miracles he can show you. Um, and I just believe that God wants what's best for you. And I think you got to ask yourself, especially my, my sisters in here, you got to, because 72% of the millennial generation believes that it's okay to cohabitate. And part of that agreement is that it's okay to have sex outside of marriage. And one of the issues in culture today is that women are not making men work and seek them and value them. So it's easy for, see, this ain't even in my notes. It's easy for a man to get what he wants out there. And it becomes a challenge for a girl that loves Jesus. And you got to ask yourself, do I want to stay in sin? Or do I want to serve Jesus? He can fulfill you. That's going to keep you empty. But just like Rachel, if you will be found in his house, I do believe that God will raise up a man Absolutely. that's designed for your heart. And it may take five years, 10 years, 15 years, but you got to ask yourself ultimately, what if I gave Jesus my all and did not put a timeline on it? Am I willing to wait until I'm 50 to find that man? 60, 35. Got to ask yourself, what if? It's a high calling. Yeah, come on, babe. Um, so, yeah, I just want to, um, let's bow our heads and let's pray. Um, if you've never given your heart to Christ, this could be your morning. Um, maybe you're in a situation, your relationship is in shambles, but God can, um, heal that this morning. He can restore you. Um, let's pray. Then we're going to give you an opportunity to give your heart to Jesus. Father, we love you. God, I thank you for every soul in this church. God, I thank you for every uh, married person, single person, divorced, separated. Um, God, I just ask for your grace and your blessing. I pray for your favor. I pray for your wisdom. 
And God, I pray that you would provide them what they need. I pray, Lord, that as they delight in you, you would give them the desires of their hearts as it concerns their relationships. God, as as we give ourselves wholly to you, you're able to restore and heal us and move. So, Jesus, allow us to remove the deadlines. God, we're not giving you two years, three years, five, ten years. We're giving you all the way into eternity to do what you will in our relationships. So, God, we're going to serve you. And maybe you've never given your life to Jesus. On the count of three, with all heads bowed, I want to give you that opportunity to make him your Lord and to make heaven your home. He loves you. On the count of three, one, two, three. (laughs) Well, hey, we love you guys. Let's give it up for Jesus. Praise God. Thank you so much.